Welcome back. You're watching Stockwatch with me, Julieta Televi, and joining me this evening to take your questions are Jonathan Fisher from PSG Wealth Santon Grayston and Willem Oldervacher from Nitrogen Fund Managers. If you'd like to send questions to us, please SMS 41392, email stockwatch at bdtv.co.za or tweet us at businessdaytv using the hashtag Stockwatch. Uh, Willem, Jonathan, good to see you both here this evening. Willem, if I may start with you, it is a pretty strong finish for the all share today, up 1.5%. Uh, resources shares doing well, and I mean, and this comes despite a mood that is quite sour in the markets. Were you sort of surprised by today's activity? Yes, I think the, we started the month uh, very negatively, and then I think from about Friday, I, there's been a bit of a positive swing. I think it's stemming from tomorrow's CPI print. I think um, the market is expecting, even though it'll still be incredibly high, the first um, decrease in uh, U.S. inflation since we started this sort of, I guess, almost hyperinflationary environment. I think expectations are sort of 8% compared to 8.5% the last time we saw a number from them. Important uh, with that, I think the, um, the ECB raised rates, and I think um, this means that uh, the, the Fed doesn't definitely want to raise more than 75 pips, and I think uh, maybe they could start being a bit less hawkish going forward. Along with that, I think resources, uh, China's sort of story is changing very slowly. Um, there are definitely some more, more positive commentary, um, both regarding COVID and just their sort of general growth, um, along with the fact that their elections are coming up, which means there'll be lots of stimulus. Um, I think those factors, um, pushing up resource prices and then probably a more bullish US market is flowing through to our uh, markets uh, these last two or three days. Yeah. Well, I, it's great to, uh, to see um, platinum and palladium, especially um, actually in the last, I mean, now up, I think platinum's up about 3%, palladium's up about 4%. So big jumps. Jonathan, um, presumably that was behind the rally that you saw in shares like Anglo Platinum and Sabania today, amongst others. Without a doubt. So, I mean, um, the palladium platinum prices pushing those um, shares together with all the other platinum shares. And I think just the general bounce in resource counters uh, with higher resource prices here today. Um, I know the dollar's a bit weaker and that might have had a play as well. Um, but it's nice to see a rally like this. I mm. know that we rallied on Friday, the American markets rallied. And as we speak now, those markets are also up between half to two thirds of a percent. Um, so, nice to see this. Yeah. I don't know if it's sustainable. <laughs> um, you know, we, markets are extremely volatile. And, um, well, I was going to ask, if um, that inflation print uh, that Willem uh, alluded to comes in worse than expected tomorrow, I imagine that all bets are going to be off. I mean, Willem, could you see, you know, if it's, if it's higher than the previous month, or as high, or certainly higher than what expectations are, surely you're going to see an, an abrupt reversal in this um, somewhat more benign mood. Yes, definitely. I think um, we'll see. We'll be back to uh, Thursday's prices if that does happen, <laughs> yes. Um, John, okay, uh, I'll, I'll get into questions and maybe we can sort of talk about the, the general market uh, uh, in, down the line. But uh, th uh, there's a question that's kind of just come in asking about Telcom and MTN, which is, um, I suppose, one of the um, major corporate actions in the South African market at the moment. And it is, if I want to sell Telcom and MTN, uh, how long should I wait for the best price? Um, so I don't know if this is, 
selling telcom in expectation of a deal going through with MTN. Uh, it's not entirely clear from the question, but Jonathan, okay. Uh, firstly, on, on the point of telcom, uh, how long should you wait for the best price? I mean, well, you've got to wait for a deal to be actually struck. Correct. No one's put, uh, not no one, but I don't think MTN have put a number on the table. I know that they've expressed interest and there's been some very good um, reports in the last week or so regarding, you know, why MTN and others would be interested in something like Telcom. And it really boils down to Telcom's fiber assets. Um, so my understanding is that Telcom's got one of the, the largest fiber networks in the country and any player that wants to be in that space would do well to buy telecom just for that asset let alone whatever else comes with it hmm. so i think that's the big carrot um there's other companies that are keen on it too like rain and there's another consortium i can't recall the name toto. Um, what's a toto hmm. toto okay yes um, not the band but not the band <laughs> and possibly no. even a flimsier than the band. But anyway, I'm not going to get into <laughs> that. Um, yeah. But my point being is there is value there in the business and there's a lot of regulation, government, sorry, there's a lot of red tape that needs to be gotten through for anyone to buy telecom. And part of the reason is that government is still a big shareholder in telecom and always has been um, since it was started. So that's one of the big hurdles um, that whoever does decide to make an offer would have to get over yeah. or get over that type of hurdle, as well as appeasing the Competition Commission, mm. that this isn't going to be too monopolistic for one player to control yeah. the fiber network. Um, so back, that's the long answer. Back to your, uh, your viewer or your caller um, or the person that sent the email, I don't know what the right price is, but I'm inclined to hold out and wait and see what transpires mm. here. Okay. Willem, would you do the same? I mean, it's quite curious how the market sort of settles at a price, even though, as Jonathan said, no actual figure has been named. And, and you know, we seem to 49 Rand 50, which is where we're close today. That seem, is that the price? I mean, how does the market arrive at, at a price? Is it rumors? Um, what exactly is it? Yeah, so I think that's a, that's actually a very nice way to think about it. I think it's they're, they're pricing the risk. So um, this deal, I've been just skeptical from, from from the start. I think the duopoly and the Casa and the Comcom, it all makes it seem very sort of 50-50. And I think that's the price they're at. I think Telcom is trading sort of at 35 rand, which I think the market's maybe giving a 50% chance that it will go back there. And then I think probably a high 60 to low 70 sort of target price for an offer. I don't think Telcom shelters would approve anything less. So I think we're sort of floating in the middle of, of that range. And I think it's, it's actually very fair for Telcom at the moment. Uh, in terms of the question, I think the deal and the fact that Rain expressed interest probably means that Telcom is now in play, which, which means you should be patient. I think there will be some sort of an offer or a deal in the next sort of six to 12 months, which means like there's just no reason to sell before that. And um, like you said, if you want to sell, you can definitely sell at the current price. It's sort of set there, like rock solid. So um, unless you need the, the liquidity, I think it's a, it's a good idea to hold on to your Telcom shares until something transpires. I mean, if you wanted to hedge yourself, if you were a bit wary that a deal doesn't actually go through, would you sell maybe a portion of your shares now? You could cash in a little bit 
if you had something better that you think uh, you might do with the money, would that be a sort of strategic yes, exactly. move? Well, it's just the opportunity cost. If, if you can think of a better idea, which, to be honest, it's sort of cash with a, a call option. Um, I think it, it's not the worst place to be in the current equity environment. Okay. But, but what you're saying does make sense. You can maybe sort of sell your telecom and buy something like Vodacom, which is like a good dividend yield, which is a similar sort of place, but there's no downside. So um, it's almost cash with a put option. And then um, do something like that just to diversify your portfolio if you're afraid of it, you're failing. But you know, the, the, the stock's definitely in play, and I think uh, something will come in the, you know, like I said, the next sort of six to 12 months. Um, just on, on MTN, um, would either of you be buying MTN at this point? Because it had this phenomenal rally, um, I suppose partly linked to what happened to the oil price. I mean, if you plot the two, you know, there, there, there's a strong correlation. Um, Jonathan, if. If MTN were to to get Telcom, would you regard that as not okay, not as positive for Telcom shareholders, but for MTN shareholders as well? And would you buy MTN in expectation that it gets hold of Telcom as an asset? So not so, so, so my view on MTN is actually positive. Put aside the Telcom deal completely, I think MTN is a great business, and one saw in their last set of numbers how well they've done. Um, you said the share price. Well, the share price has come off substantially from its recent high. Um, it was above 200, and it's sitting around about 135 now. So certainly a hell of a lot more value at these levels than what it was then. Putting the telecom deal in the mix, often what you find is an acquiring company. When there's a big announcement, the share price does tend to come off uh, versus the. The acquiring the company being acquired, mm. and this might be part of the reason why we're seeing a bit of um, weakness in MTN recently. The market taking a view that maybe something could happen here, um, but in the long term, obviously MTN see value in that asset, um, and I guess to unlock that value for its existing shareholders in the short term. If a deal is announced, you might see some short-term weakness in the price of MTN. Um, but in the long term, I guess, um, you know, the fact that they're keen to do something tells you something about their telecom asset. Yeah. Well, yeah, he would hope so. Um, Willem, your thoughts on MTN? How do you feel about it? I think that's a, that was a good answer. I think MTN is going to be, it's going to be a long-term story because um, – this deal, like I said, I'm pretty sure something will come of it, and it's just the way the market works. Uh, hedge funds, proprietary traders, other sort of arbitrages are going to be buying telecom and selling MTN, and the flow will probably pull telecom up and uh, uh, pull MTN down. Uh, that being said, I, I agree, the sort of medium to long term, MTN is not very expensive. And um, the, it's a massive operation with decent management, decent cash sort of generation. They also going to repatriate cash. And um, even though sort of the, the share price got a massive shock when oil came down from $120 to $90 with the Nigerian exposure, uh, I think it's worth remembering that oil last year this time was probably $60. So I don't think the Nigerian economy is suffering. Um, so I think it's, it's definitely an overreaction. But in the short term, I think MTN will be under pressure mm. uh, just uh, as a share price. Okay. Uh, just moving back, we were talking about um, resources stocks at the start of the show, specifically platinum and palladium. And the question has come through asking, um, please ask the panel, what the future holds for the platinum price in the long run, seeing that platinum is not one of the components of electric vehicles? Uh, Willem, can I just stay with you for that uh, for the time? Yes, so that's, that's not that easy to answer. Platinum is sort of going from a deficit to a surplus, but I think we're closer to neutral, um, which means sort of 
even though platinum might not be great, I think if you're buying a sort of a PGM producer, maybe choose somebody with more palladium and rhodium exposure. But um, there, there are lots of reasons for platinum to be in demand. Uh, catalytic converters in sort of uh, internal combustion engines aren't going away as soon as people think. There's there's all these targets coming from you know the EU and the device, but in terms of battery minerals, it doesn't stack up. You, you can't make enough batteries and solar panels and wiring in the next 10 years to replace all internal combustion engines. So, so I don't think that's a realistic sort of um, scenario for the future, which means platinum will probably stay, hopefully stay, let's say, uh, at least sort of in balance and maybe slightly get into a slight surplus sort of uh, supply versus demand in the next, I'm thinking like eight to 10 years. So yeah. I think it's sort of reached a long-term real price. I mean, Jonathan, I mean, if it had to go into a slight surplus, it's going to be bad for the price, but it, is it possible that you would actually just see platinum kind of steady around the $900,000 mark? Do you think there's any chance no, of it going so. back to 2000, uh, which is its peak? Look, I do think so, but, um, you know, I guess the question was regarding um, battery-powered vehicles, um, electric vehicles rather, versus combustion vehicles. And I think I agree that it's going to take a hell of a long time for that conversion to happen. There's so many vested interests in this market. When I say the market, the motor vehicle market with respect to combustion and EV, um, it's going to take time. I guess it's the same discussion or argument one can have um, when it comes to energy, producing energy, fossil fuels or green energy. It takes time. And the same thing will happen with this, but it will take time. And for that reason, I still think that platinum stroke palladium, rhodium will still still be in play for the next at least 10 years, 15 to 20 in perhaps. Yeah. Okay. And a question came through a little bit earlier asking about three investment companies, uh, Investec, 91 and Quilter. So all with UK exposure. And the question was, um, uh, could your panelists provide the investment case for the three uh, following shares? And also, would it be prudent to hold all shares considering exposure to the UK? Um, Jonathan, uh, starting with you, what would be the investment okay. case? Because uh, uh, there are subtle differences uh, in, in all three. Right. Okay, so 91 is actually a stock that we have in our model portfolio. That is the one of the three that we have. Okay. Um, the investment case, well, just looking at the multiples, similar to the others, they're quite cheap. Um, they trade on a multiple of 11, dividend yield of 7.2%. Um, it is a March year end, and... They released some excellent numbers for the March year end, I think was around maybe about two months later, April, May, might have been in June. And the numbers were really good. It was probably their best performance ever. Um, took a bit of a wobble in the last quarter with the war and the markets having started depreciating uh, early in the year. But nevertheless, um, the AUM was 143 billion pounds um, profit before tax was up 31% and their basic earnings per share were up 34%. Now, things have probably changed for them and the others because of the state of the markets. Nevertheless, um, still think it's a great company. Um, and they've, they've got exposure not only to the UK, but obviously here 
um, and other parts of the world. You know, I guess with, with 91 and probably more so Quilter, when there's strong markets and markets are doing well, these companies will generally do well as well. Yeah. They're good indicators um, of what's going on in the markets. Things have changed a bit, and I guess the half-year numbers, which will come out in a few months' time, probably not look as rosy. Mm. So that's 91. Okay, well, maybe I should ask um, Willem if he can give us kind of the thesis for Quilter, say, opposed, you know, if, it, if you were looking at Quilter versus 91, what, what for you would be the, the differences um, or, or the different appeal in either of those? Sure. So I think 91's covered. I think Quilter, I think um, it's, a, it's probably a similar multiple and a similar dividend yield, maybe a slightly lower dividend yield, but I think it should be priced more in pounds where 91 is still at least priced half in um, in rands. I think that's also part of the, the difference. I think the split for Quilter is probably more hard currency and, and much less um, sort of emerging market currency exposure, which in terms of performance probably is more negative. I think the JC it could probably still earn performance fees. So, so that's definitely a tick in 91's direction. Um, Quilter, I think, is uh, I really like asset managers. I think they are great businesses. They generally do very well. They're very defensive because of the, the management fee. And even though they aren't performance fees, uh, that generally means sort of they can cover sort of two or three times the dividend, which is four to six percent. Um, that being said, um, I won't comment too much on investing. I think that's more of a bank. So yeah. I think it's a, it's a different exposure. I think um, sort of coming off from what I've said, I think the best asset manager to buy right now is uh, Alpex, definitely a coronation. I think they pay an even higher dividend and they've got an even lower price. But um, just to summarize on course, I think there you're taking a sort of developed market view and the 91 you're taking sort of a diversified emerging market developed market view. Okay. Can I just ask both of you, would you have, uh, okay, an investing bank, I mean, um, the, the investment thesis is for investment bank rather than, say, a South African-focused bank. Um, Jonathan, do you like the fact well, that it has got the UK operations or is that a detraction? Not crazy about it. I mean, also similar to 91, also a March year end, they came up with very good numbers as well. Um, but, you know, concurring uh, with Willem, I think our South African market generally has done better and there are better pockets of value in South African Incorporated, which would mean the South African banking sector generally should offer more value than, I guess, a hybrid like Investec, which is a mix of both. Mm. Um, so, you know, we can get to the stock pick later, but it is going to be a South African bank and it's okay. not Investec Limited. <laughs> um, <laughs> but we can't, we can't uh, you know, take it away from them. The results in March or for March were actually very good. Yeah. Now, things might have changed now somewhat, but um, can't fault them for that. Um, Sorry, just, just yeah. get, I can just mention something about Quilter. Um, I think it's a junior end, so slightly more delayed. And because of that, I think they took a bit more pain than the other two we're talking about because of that. Um, and I think, if, if I recall correctly, they actually had a negative earnings growth figure. I uh, can't recall the reason. Um, but Quilter, besides being an asset manager, it's also, um, I guess, into the so-called wealth management business, you know, complete wealth management business financial planning, mm. asset management, portfolio management, stockbroking and all. So it does a bit of everything, which is a good thing for it relative to a pure asset manager. Yeah.
Okay, just Willem, just to end off with, not to labour this, but um, are you quite bearish about exposure to the UK economy and to UK shares in general? So if you own, yes, yeah. Okay. yeah, I mean, I mean, it's just they, I guess they had a very interesting political environment, and then um, they've got an, an incredibly large amount of inflation. Uh, Brexit. I think the, the the sort of punches just keep rolling. Now the Queen's died. Not that that should have any effect on on stocks, but it sort of somehow does. Um, you know, I think it's just a tough place to be right now. It sort of it used to be the world's sort of central bank, and I think it's kind of lost that sort of um, yeah, you know, just Cache. that sort of title. And uh, it's going to take a while to come back. So I'm I'm not um, very interested in that at all. Okay, Willem, sticking with you, there's a question on RMB. Uh, please can have the panels view on the future of RMB post the special dividend payout. So Atterbury Europe, they've sold. They're going to paying it out. Um, what what for you is left there? Is it worth holding on? I think they're going to take it out. I think. Um, it's just sort of a trend that I think companies are following. I think sort of DG's done a trend sort of unbundling everything, buying anything. I think it's too small to justify listing, especially now. I mean, it used to be a Leviathan with first chain in it, and then it sort of got rid of that, and then we're getting rid of sort of Atterbury. And, and I, I can't even remember. I think it's something like diversity and integer. small, small, small names that are left. I think maybe even with the cash that on the balance sheet, they can afford to buy out the UVM on RSE. So I'm not saying it's going to happen tomorrow, but I think in the next sort of six to 12 months, they're going to come with a, a decent offer probably, 20 to 30% above spot, and um, it'll just sort of happen. I think it's a formality. It's, it's not something that's on any big fund manager's radar. It's, yeah. you know, like I said, I don't think it's, it's, it justifies a today's listing in its current form. Okay. But Jonathan, I'm presuming if you're a re retail investor, maybe that's a quick buck to be made. If you are expecting to be, maybe, bought, yeah. you know, to, for them to delist, take it out at a bit of a premium, not a bad place to put some money. Maybe, but I think like, you know, like Willem said, here's a typical case of a company that's unbundled most of its assets already. Um, and I guess the, the easier money was made prior to that, or prior to the announcement, had one had an inkling that this was going to happen. Mm. Um, there might be some more value squeezed out of it, but I agree. I don't think, you know, unless it's a cash shell and it's going to be used for something else, which I doubt, I don't think there's any good reason to remain listed once most of the assets are unbundled. Okay. And then a question before I get to your stock picks. Uh, LVMH or Ferrari? Which of the two luxury stocks should I look into? LVMH is more optionality, but Ferrari is the better, stronger brand. I don't know. It depends on whether you like handbags or cars, because you could argue that LVMH is a very, very strong band, brand. Um, Willem, if you had to pick either of those two, which one would you go for? Only because there's the gun to my head, I'd say LVMH. I think Ferrari, you think they sell cars, but it's more a commercial machine for hats, key fobs, and perfumes. Um, but their profits aren't good. Um, it hasn't been good for a long time. So um, LVMH, I think, is, is a better run business with sort of more diversity and sort of, uh, I think, a better brands, to be, to, be, to be honest. Jonathan, how about you? I tend to agree. I don't know too much about either of them besides what I see. Um, so I don't know the profits of each company but here's something for you julieta mm -hmm. what do you prefer toys for boys or toys for girls <laughs> because ultimately <laughs> you're your main customers well, driving ferraris and you're your main customers using of the image to be honest i cannot see the sense of driving a ferrari through joburg's roads uh you know so i, I hate to be so parochial but <laughs> every time you go through a pothole and hear the crunch it's probably about you know a hundred thousand rand damage to a tiny little bit of your car so I, i'd rather buy a handbag but anyway that's my view um or the maker of the handbag shall we say getting to your stock picks this evening uh, jonathan sticking with you what would you go for 
Well, we spoke about RMH, which is, I guess, a sister company of First Rand, which is the big retail banking business, um, part of the same group or originally part of the same group. It's got a 370 billion market cap. It is the biggest market cap bank in our country at the moment. Um, they did come out with a very nice trading update on Friday. It was an update from a previous trading update, and it was slightly better, mm. where they said headline earnings are going to be up between 20 to 25 percent, putting them in a range of 576 to 6 rand. Assume a midpoint of 588 puts them on a P of 11.3 times, and a dividend yield of 4.7 percent. I mean, some of the things that we're expecting here: net interest income improving, and probably going to come in at about 6.6 percent, maybe higher. Uh, growth and non-interest revenue. The consensus is for growth of about 8.1%, and that's led by fee and commission income and a recovery in insurance revenues. And also their credit losses are going to remain low. So we look forward to those numbers, okay. and they're due on Thursday, okay. 15th. Okay, so first round for you. Um, Willem, how about you? Uh, I'm going to quick call up, I agree. I've been, I've been wanting to pick this stock for the last three months. I was just waiting for the unbundling to uh, finish uh, in case there was too big an overhang. But I think um, the price has come down a lot, and I think that is mainly due to the unbundling. Uh, they released a trading statement, I think, sort of tactically, I think maybe Thursday or Friday. I think they're going to make five rand sixty on a 37 rand share price, which I think is incredibly cheap. Uh, and they, they pay a solid dividend, I think maybe five to six percent. Um, and then fundamentally, I just think the business, if you look at Cape Town um, or the sort of the Cape area, everywhere they operate, um, the soft commodity prices are good. The, the fuel sales business is going to do well. So long term, it's a good buy and you're getting it at a, at a really good price. Um, and I think the, the feel, the shock of downside is uh, it's happened. The catalyst for, for that's gone. So uh, there's not much downside left. Yeah. OK, so good to wade in now. Uh, right. Well, we shall leave it there. Willem, uh, Jonathan, thank you very much for joining us this evening. Nice to chat to you both. Uh, Jonathan Fisher is from PSG Wealth Santon Grayson. Willem Aldevacher is from Nitrogen Fund Managers. And we'll be right back. Excuse me. We'll stop watch tomorrow night. Same time, same place. Have a good evening.